Our scripture this morning is from 1 Kings. And this is a part of the story after Solomon has died and the kingdom is about to split into two pieces. It's a very long story. So if you find yourself checking out, just check back in when you can. So 1 Kings 12, 1 to 17 and 25 to 29. Rehoboam went to Shechem where all Israel had come to make him king. When Jeroboam, Nebat's son, heard the news, he returned from Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. The people sent and called for Jeroboam, who along with the entire Israelite assembly went and said to Rehoboam, your father made our workload very hard for us. If you will lessen the demands your father made of us and lighten the heavy workload he demanded from us, then we will serve you. He answered them, come back in three days. So the people left. King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon when he was alive. What do you advise, Rehoboam asked. How should I respond to these people? If you will be a servant to these people by answering them and speaking good words today, they replied, then they will be your servants forever. But Rehoboam ignored the advice that the elders gave him and instead sought the counsel of the young advisors who had grown up with him and now served him. What do you advise? He asked them. How should we respond to these people who have said to me, lighten the workload your father demanded of us? The young people who had grown up with him said to him, the people said to you, your father made our workload heavy, lighten it for us. Now this is what you should say to them. My baby finger is thicker than my father's entire waist. So if my father made your workload heavy, I'll make it even heavier. If my father disciplined you with whips, I'll do it with scorpions. Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam on the third day, just as the king had specified when he said, come back to me in three days. The king then answered the people harshly. He ignored the elders' advice and instead followed the young people's advice. He said, my father made your workload heavy, but I'll make it even heavier. My father disciplined you with whips, but I'll do it with scorpions. The king didn't listen to the people because this turn of events came from the Lord so that he might keep the promise he delivered through Ahijah from Shiloh concerning Jeroboam, Nebat's son. When all Israel saw that the king wouldn't listen to them, the people answered the king, why should we care about David? We have no stake in Jesse's son. Go back to your homes, Israel. You better look after your own house now, David. Then the Israelites went back to their homes and Rehoboam ruled only over the Israelites who lived in the cities of Judah. Jeroboam fortified Shechem at Mount Ephraim and lived there. From there, he also fortified Penuel. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom is in danger of those reverting to the house of David. If these people continue to sacrifice at the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, they will again become loyal to their master Rehoboam, Judah's king, and they will kill me so they can return to Judah's king Rehoboam. So the king asked for advice and then made two gold calves. He said to the people, it's too far for you to go all the way up to Jerusalem. Look, Israel, here are your gods who brought you out from the land of Egypt. He put one calf in Bethel, and the other he placed in Dan. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. And we'll join in singing hymn number 672, For All the Saints.
So I hear this song in my head with a big organ and piano thing, and we've got guitar chords today. So it's going to be different from what you hear in your head, but the alleluias are the same. Thank you, Cindy, for alerting us that the text would indeed be long and complicated and that we might fade in and out, and that was okay. 
Indeed, First Kings tells us a complicated history. Many of you know that my favorite uh, sermon preparation resource is the Bible Worm podcast uh, with a Christian and a Jewish scholar, each of them people of faith and leaders in their faith communities who discuss the text each week with one another. It is rich. Um, it is rich, it is helpful, and I have come to know and love Bobby and Amy. In fact, I now participate in the monthly Zoom meetings with Bobby, so I've actually come to know him as a person. I got over my fangirling and just got to know him as a person. Um, so I love listening to the Bible Worm podcast, and as I did so in preparation for this sermon with this text from First Kings, I felt like I had to squint my eyes and scrunch my brain just to follow. Uh, so I could preach an expository sermon on First Kings. However, I think you might have to squint your eyes and scrunch your brains just to follow. Part of this is by virtue of us being Christians. We have prioritized the New Testament. It is our testament and our gospel. And so some of these Hebrew Bible stories, some of this history is stuff that we are just less familiar with. It just, we didn't Im imbibe it in the same way that we swam in the stories of Jesus for so long. What I can tell you is that in this complicated moment, in the midst of a complicated history, the moment is the coronation of the next king, the king that follows Solomon. So we arrive at the coronation, and there are, around this moment, there are political machinations of the northern tribes and the southern tribes that seem to be dividing. There is conditional allegiance we heard that we will serve you if you do this thing for us. There is questionable or just straight up terrible advice given to the incoming king. There is bravado and locker room threats. Let's just say that that little finger you heard about is not exactly a finger. There are maneuvers politically. There are divisions and loyalties that happened before this moment. There are divisions and loyalties that are uh, being forged in the moment. And there are divisions and loyalties that are being um, forecasted into the future. And so it's a really complicated political moment with lots of power grabbing. I'm not convinced that the story from First King preaches. At least not today, not here, not in its details. Except to say that we too, of course, live in a time of political machinations, power grabs, divisions and loyalties that have happened before are happening now and are being forecasted into the future. We too live in the midst of violence and death and oppression and kings who seek and heed terrible advice. 
I was writing with Cindy, she doesn't know I'm going to say this, imagining this text for our All Hallowed Saints and Souls Sunday, and she texted back, maybe the theme is how not to be a saint. <laughs> and indeed, I think if this text could be summed up on this Sunday, how not to be a saint could work. As Cindy shared during the story for all ages, there are indeed three holidays that are strung together. Um, and we often kind of lump them all together in part because we haven't been high, a high liturgy kind of church. So we have All Hallowed Eve or All Hallows Eve, also known as your pastor's birthday and Carl Lynn's birthday. <laughs> All Hallows Eve, All Saints on November 1st, the big S, Saints, <laughs> capital S, Saints, and All Souls on November 2nd. And we have always prioritized All Souls. We've kind of lumped them together and thought of the three of them together as All Souls. Because traditionally in Mennonite communities, we haven't really acknowledged or observed those capital S saints. But I really love Cindy's description of that light that shines so bright, the divine spark that casts such a glow that a community comes around and says, this one, this one is one of ours. And we will remember this one and tell this one's stories. And then, of course, each of us have our own small s, lowercase s, souls, just as saintly. And in some cases, not. <laughs> but those who impacted us who live with us still. Certainly in my own life, I do not aspire to capital S sainthood, please no. But the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus that we seek to walk together as a community of Jesus followers, I do understand that way of Jesus to be one of honoring the good ancestors who have come before and seeking to be a good ancestor for those who will come after. This seems to me in line with walking the way of Jesus, walking in the footsteps of Jesus, seeking to bear witness as best we can in a day-to-day -day way, bearing witness to that life and witness of Jesus. I hope I do hope to leave some small thing of value for those who've known me, that when my time has come, a community will gather and will say, she made a difference for me. Or she said this one thing once that always sort of stuck with me. I think that's a thing we might all resonate with, that perhaps even if we don't aim for capital S sainthood, we hope to be a good soul to be a good ancestor. So let's name a few of those souls who have impacted us and been good ancestors for us and who have died this year. 
And with each one I name, I will offer one word to describe them, inspired by, by Greg Thiessen, whose words I will share soon. The first, Arnold Casey, a member of our community who died this last year. His service was held in this space and his family came and they potlatched and fed everyone in the near vicinity of the church. And the word I offer for Arnold Casey is not from me, but from gathering with his family. It was very clear that in his family he was uncle, uncle. This is the painted and beaded feather that was left on the altar as his family was packing up to leave. And I said, oh, don't forget the feather that's on the altar. And one of his sisters said, I think it's meant for you. Don Diaz, one of ours who died this year. I'm sure each of us could come up with a one word for Don, <laughs> or more than one. I see Melissa saying, or more than one. The one that sparkled for me as I was considering Don's impact on my life and on our life as a community was sincere the sincerity that he brought to the reading of scripture, the sharing of song, telling the truth when he was disappointed in us because he had invited us over and no one came. He was a sincere one in our midst and we miss him. I have to change the order. I, I, hadn't, uh, I hadn't considered one thing. The next one I'm going to say, even though this is a personal one, is Greg Thiessen's mother, Judy. We have been walking with Greg, of course, um, as his mother has been dying, and she died on October 27th, which was Friday. Am I doing that correctly? Yes, Friday. And so I will read his tribute. My mom, Judy, passed away after a two-year journey with ALS. I didn't share about things on social media when she was diagnosed or moved to Durham to be near my brother, David, and the Duke ALS clinic, or when I took 12 weeks of paid family medical leave to help with caregiving. I did share about it pretty openly with friends, with church family, that's y'all and others who had gone through losing a parent, and sometimes even acquaintances who simply asked how I was doing, and I gave them the whole truth. For the past many months, I received so much care, love, and support from you all, for which I'm really grateful and know that it will continue. A friend recently asked me, and here's the inspiration for the one word, friends. A friend recently asked me over a bowl of pho how I'd describe her. 
And the first word that came into my mind was ornery. <laughs> my mom was an incredible listener and nurturing mother, but she loved to pull leg hair under the table, smack my belly mid back stretch, shoot the paper wrapper of a straw at you during dinner. <laughs> and even in these past few months had to play a game of thumb war before saying goodnight. She loved us so much, and I miss her a lot. Marvin Miller. One word for Marvin. Well, I think ornery could also work. <laughs> but since it's been taken, <laughs> I'm going to say dedicated. That man was dedicated, whether it was to the people and the place of God's little acre, whether it was to foraging and stacking wood for winter <laughs> from every nook and cranny imaginable. <laughs> he was dedicated to music and dedicated to helping us understand and to get a glimpse into his deep knowledge of music. Uh, there's so many examples, but the one that is just so quintessentially Marvin for me that I will never forget for all my live long days is the joy that he took from strong, peaceful man of Galilee being set to the Navy hymn tune. Every, I mean, he wanted to sing it all the time, and every time we sang it, he had to talk about how the Navy hymn tune had been reclaimed with the most gorgeous of peaceful words. <laughs> 573 in Voices Together. Strong, peaceful man of Galilee, robed with your strength we long to be, not to revenge, to heal and pray, to turn the cheek and tribute pay, robed with your strength we long to be, strong, peaceful man of Galilee. He was dedicated to us remembering that this was the Navy tune <laughs> claimed. <laughs> there are many others, those are the ones that I could recall, unless I've forgotten, that were really held by our community. But we all, like Greg, have our own stories. I know some of you have lost parents and siblings, neighbors and friends in this year. So I'm gonna come with the mic for, we'll see, one, two, possibly three. If you would like to share, I'm coming straight for you first, Kathleen. Um, and um, I would invite you to share the name of the soul that we are calling to mind. And if you can, what one word would you use to describe that person? And give us just a brief snapshot. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Um, as you, some of you know, Hank and I were members of the Hyde Park Mennonite Church Fellowship in Boise. And when we joined, we found it through the, um, it's like, it was called Corpus Christi. It was a home, it was a day center for the homeless. And, um, the Mennonite Mark was the, he ran it. Anyway, we went to one of the services and there was a lovely, lovely lady. Her name was Jill Thompson. And, um, in 2018, she, uh, contact, uh, she, got cancer, and um, she recently died. So she suffered for five years, and nothing she did uh, relieved her suffering. She suffered for five years, and she finally, she finally passed away. And um, her memorial service was yesterday, so in Boise. So anyway, she's on my mind. Thank you. Jill Thompson, her husband's name was Dan, and I remember going down into fellowship, there was coffee and, you know, donuts, and she came up to us and said, welcome, 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 and I just went, yes, this is where I belong, and I felt that in this community as well, so um, thank you. This morning, I suddenly feel the presence of my dear friend, Jim Becker, the great. Um, Jim wrote a paper once entitled, My Life in the Good God Balloon. And he talked about stretching the boundaries, which I don't think he even lived on this side of the boundary. <laughs> so thank you, Jim, for all you gave to me and to the world. Amen. Jim. One more. Uh, first of all, my sister-in-law, Elizabeth, who died on Christmas Eve after living with Parkinson's for many years. Um, vivacious is the word that comes to mind. Lots of open-armed hugs and a beautiful person. And my father died in late March at the age of 99, so uh, longevity would be one word, but, uh, <laughs> but he was a man of integrity as well. Ben. Thank you, Ken. God of the Living, a blessing by Jan Richardson. When the wall between the worlds is too firm, too close, when it seems all solidity and sharp edges, when every morning you wake as if flattened against it, its forbidding presence fairly pressing the breath from you all over again, then may you be given a glimpse of how weak the wall, 
and how strong what stirs on the other side, breathing with you and blessing you still, forever bound to you, but freeing you into this living, into this world, so much wider than you ever knew. Indeed, may the good ancestors be with you. And may we all live our way into being good ancestors. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.